All right, guys, let's continue our teaching in the book of Genesis. Um, good to be back, by the way. Hope everybody's doing well during all of this coronavirus uproar. <laughs> but anyway, let's go back, do a quick review from Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Basically, chapter 10, we had the division of nations or the separation of nations, how we basically got to 70 nations that we have from chapter 10 and the languages that came forth from those nations. All of this is explained in Genesis chapter 11, dealing with the issue of the Tower of Babel. Now, we remember in Genesis chapter 10, we talked about this particular guy by the name of Nimrod, which was the first time that we ever heard of anything in scripture up to this point concerning a kingdom. And basically this was the first or the beginning of a one world kingdom, one man trying to dominate the entire world. That's why the Bible called him a great hunter of men. Now, what actually happens in Nimrod's kingdom is an explanation to what took place in chapter 10. That is to simply say that the reason why we have the division of nations, the reason why we have the divisions or the multiplicity of tongues, because you got to remember Hebrew, the Hebrew language was the first original language that was spoken by all of mankind. But in Nimrod's rebellion against God, now we're moving to chapter 11, he sets up a city in ancient Babylon, Ur of the Chaldeans. And when he sets up this particular city, he sets up the first uh, temple, actually a ziggurat, for idolatrous worship, for the worship for the stars of heaven. God comes down graciously and also in judgment, and he changes the languages of the entire human race. And so therefore, Everyone who could speak the same language gathered together and they separated and went their separate ways unto the furthest parts of the earth. Okay. And basically that's what took place at the Tower of Babel. So now let's move. We're still in chapter 11. We're going to move to the next section, the next Toldoth. And this deals with Shem. That is what became of Shem. Now you got to remember and we don't, we're not going to do this every single time. But remember, what the scripture is concerned about is the continuation of the seed line. All the way from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman. We remember that Noah and his three sons were the last descendants of men that we saw from the boat of Genesis chapter 9. That is from the great flood. And it, will, and it would be from Noah and it would be from Noah's sons that the seed line would continue. And that son is namely Shem. Okay. So now let's go. Genesis 11 and 10. These are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and became the father of Aphokshad two years after the flood. Now let me make a few preliminary comments right here. And hopefully we, we can kind of move very quickly through this particular section. Okay. All right. Now we have already dispensed with his other brothers, uh, Ham, 
father of Canaan, and Japheth. And if you don't remember, go and see the earlier video that we made concerning those particular sons. So we've already dispensed with those particular sons of Noah because they were not the seed line. The seed son is Shem. So now we're beginning to concentrate on the seed son, Shem, and the whole idea of this particular section is it prepares us as we're getting ready to move from a particular seed line and concentrate on a particular family, which will be the family of Abraham. Okay. All right. Also, too, in many different uh Instances, as we talked about it, say, for instance, in Genesis chapter five and Genesis chapter four and other things, we would deal with the descendants of the particular men that we covered. And we would talk about the meanings of their names. Now, the meanings of their names does have some degree of importance, but sometimes it's not everything. It's not giving a lot to the text. Okay. But what the meaning of the name can do for us is it'll give us an understanding of the background concerning these people. That is, say, for instance, this, the reason why I say that, the, the Hebrew name, sometimes the names have meanings only in Hebrew, which lets us know that the language is in Hebrew. Okay. But remember, as we move past Genesis 10 and the events of the Tower of Babel, the languages of the world changes. But also as the language of the world changes, we are concentrating once again on one particular seed line, Shem, his family, which will be the Hebrew people. So therefore the Hebrew language will still be of importance, but also too, Name importance will also allow us to see certain information about the characters. And we'll talk about that as we move on down the line. But my main point was, I don't want to get into a lot of derivations or meanings of the names as we move through the text, because sometimes you see all names, the meanings uh, are not clear. We don't know exactly what those names mean. Okay. But anyway, now let's make another point. Remember when we had Noah and his three sons, their wives, on the boat, only Noah had sons. Noah did not have any additional sons after leaving the ark. And Noah's sons did not have any sons when they got on the ark. So they didn't have any children at that particular time. And that's why we see when we mentioned Shem, that is the seed son, he was a hundred years old. He became the father of a fox ad. Notice two years after the flood. And that was his first son, the two years after the flood. And now what we are going to do is we are simply going to move down the line to the different seed sons. But you know, what's always interesting to me, guys, I wonder how they knew that this particular son was the seed son. Was it necessarily because he was the eldest son? How did they know that this one was? The Bible doesn't say. They just, I guess God revealed it to them and didn't tell us how he revealed it to them. But nevertheless, we're just simply now moving from what? Shem to Afakshad. And then we're going to keep on going down the line with the next seed son. And that's all we're doing here. 
11. And Shem lived 500 years and he became, after he became the father of Afoxad, and he had other sons and daughters. We don't know what the name Afoxad means, but we do know the name Shem means simply name. And he had other sons and daughters. Notice again, we are only concentrating on the seed son who was named Afoxad, right? And then it says he had other sons and daughters. That means a fox had was not the only son that Shem had. And you're going to see this continue, this continually being the case with these men that are being named. They have other children, sons and daughters, but they are not mentioned at all because we're only concentrating on the seed son. Okay. A fox had lived, uh, and also, too, notice there's a difference between this and Genesis chapter 5. It didn't say, and he died. The assumption is clear that he died. He lived 500 years in addition, so he lived to be 600 years old. But anyway, we're going to skip a lot of that because it's not really important, and we're just going to move on and deal with that part of the text that's, that I think will be most relevant to you guys. 12. A fox had lived 35 years and he became the father of Shelah. So when he got 35 years old, he had another son. His name was Shelah and Shelah is the seed son. Now you sometimes find the discrepancies when you look in the New Testament in the genealogy of Luke. And I think it's this guy by the name of Kenan that comes in between it. And it seemed that there's some kind of description in between it, but I'm not going to try to get into the argument of that particular text. But it seems that when Luke got this information, he got it from the Septuagint, which mentions the name of Kenan. But nevertheless, let's just move on. So, Apokshev was 35 years old when he had Shalai. I think that name means something like the sent one or something. Okay. And so, Apokshev lived 403 years after he became the father of Shalai. And also what? He also had other sons and daughters besides Shelah, who is the seed son. Keep moving. Shelah lived 30 years and he became the father of Eber. And Shelah lived 403 years after he became the father of Eber. He had his other sons and daughters. So Shelah, the seed son, now goes to Eber. I think his name means something like on the other side or from the other side. And Eber is now the seed son. And it continues on with Shelah having other sons and daughters. And of course, he dies. We continue now with Eber. Eber lived, I'm at 16, 34 years. And he became the father of Peleg. So now this is the next seed son. And he's something around the fourth or fifth generation that we have from the time of Noah that we get off the boat from Peleg. And so, and Eber lived 430 years after he became the father of Peleg, and he had, of course, other sons and daughters. Now, Peleg is interesting. His name literally means divided, and we also see a mention of that in chapter 10, because the Bible, the, uh, chapter 10 may mention, the writer said that in his days, the world was divided. In other words, it was during the time, the life of Peleg, that we had that issue with Nimrod and the Tower of Babel and the divide and the division of the tongues and the scattering for the nations. So it was during this particular time of 
P-Leg. And the thing that, and, and this is, and what you have to understand once again is this, and I'm not going to re-preach it. Within four generations, within four generations, mankind had already entered into rebellion against God under Nimrod at the Tower of Babel. The most remarkable thing that you will find is Noah was still alive. What's important about that? Remember, it was Noah who warned his generation because of their rebellion and the whole human race was destroyed. So even in Noah's continued lifetime, all of humanity rebelled again. And that's my point. How quickly we rebel against God, even with Noah still living. And not only was Noah still living, you'll find out in these particular names, there's a lot of overlapping. That's why when you do, and we're not going to go through all of that, and I don't want to bore you to death, but let me just give you a point. When you look at the longevity of these different names, you'll find a bunch of overlapping. That is, say for instance, like from the time of Adam to the time of Lamech. Lamech is the father of Noah. You'll find some overlapping from Lamech to Shem and from Shem even to Jacob, the son of Isaac. So the, as these men live for incredibly long time, that means they were alive as these other generations were being born, which meant when these rebellious generations and further generations of men were born, they could consult the fathers to know for sure what happened. And Shem could say, I was alive during that time. Noah could say, I was alive during that time. Even in Nimrod's rebellion, I was alive during that time and God judged the world. Will we do it again? So my point is that mankind quickly rebels against God. And another reason why I brought that overlap and I was a little premature, but hey, you got it already. Another reason for that particular overlap, why it's so important is this. When we look at the genealogy of names and we want to say, well, where did all these records come from? These records were kept by these men. And guess what? These men lived a long time, like from Noah, to, I'm sorry, Adam to Lamech, Lamech, Shem, Shem, all the way up to the son, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And now we can see why that lineage, the list of names is so wonderfully preserved in the scripture. But anyway, let's go on because we were talking about what Peleg, that in his day, there was the division in the world because God had judged the Tower of Babel incident. Let's continue. 19, Peleg lived 209 years after he became the father of Ru, and Ru means something like friend or neighbor. And of course, Peleg had other sons and daughters. Now, something else that you'll also notice too, that as we move down the line, the longevity of men's lives is shortened more and more. And you can kind of see it in key key issues. That is when you look at chapter six in Genesis and mankind's in 
I wouldn't say initial rebellion, but as a whole <laughs> rebellion and God destroyed the earth, the longevity that men live 900, 800 years. And then you look at the next situation that is the tower of Babel and at the tower of Babel, men are living even less number of, so the years are being shortened at each gener, not say each generation, but you can see almost like each period of rebellion, you can see in a sense of judgment as God has shortened mankind's time till you get, by the time you get to Abraham, you're about 175 years at the most. Okay. But anyway, let's go on, uh, from 900 years. But anyway, so let's go on from that. We have verse number 20 dealing with Rue, the next in the seed line. Rue lived 32 years, and now you're noticing two guys, they're getting younger and younger as they're having children. He lived 32 years, and he became the father of Sarug, and we don't really know what his names mean. And Rue lived 207 years after he became the father of Sarug, and of course, he had other sons and daughters. Now, Sarug is the seed son. Sarug lived 30 years and he became the father of Nahor. Now we're getting close to Abraham. Now watch as we bring this thing together. Okay. Nahor. Nahor means something like river. All right. And Nahor is the grandfather of Abraham. I'm being a little premature, but let me get there. And Sarug lived 200 years after he became the father of Nahor. And of course, he had other sons and daughters. The same thing that we're seeing over and over and over. Nahor lived 29 years and he became the father of Terah. Terah, who is the father of Abraham. Okay. And, and, and Terah. And Nahor lived 100. And I think Terah names mean something like moon. Now, let me let let me help you out right here. The name Terah Moon comes from an Akkadian root. It's not so much as a Hebrew root as it is an Sumerian, and I don't want to get into all of that stuff, guys. But a Sumerian Akkadian root that's tied to the ancient Babylonian god worships. So the worship of the moon or the celestials. And you're going to see this particular thing uh, being stated with other things regarding to the, the following names like, um, uh, uh, what is it? Milka or Eva, who will, you'll, we'll, we'll talk about her. <laughs> and even Sarah, we'll also talk about her. Okay. But the point is this, when we begin to look at those names, we'll find that they were related to Akkadian deities, which meant that their fathers were worshipers of idols, idolaters, all right? And I'll, make more, I'll talk more about that as we get into that. There's a principle that I hope to remember I want to bring out for you guys as we get there. But anyway, so where was I with Ter Terah, father of Abraham, okay? Sorry, moving down the seed line. Terah lived 70 years and he became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and, and Haran. Now, he didn't talk about, we know the seed son will be Abram, 
Okay. And he just simply said, and he didn't say he was a certain age when he begat Abraham. It just simply gave by the age of 70 years old, he had begotten all three of those particular sons. All right. Abram, who we believe to be the firstborn, Nahor, Abraham, exalt Abram, I'm sorry, exalted father. Nahor, of course, uh, a river, something like that, and, and, and Haran, uh, something like mountain, something to that degree. But anyway, 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 I said I wasn't going to do that, but I keep having that habit of doing that, don't I? And Haran became the father of Lot. Now, the reason why we mention Lot is because what the scripture is going to teach us in the following verses, that an unusual thing would took place. So Haran's son, Lot, okay, who's going to end up falling under the authority of Haran's brother, Abram. And that's because Haran will do will die before his father. That was the unusual thing. Usually the father would die and then the son would die. But here you had Haran died. Didn't say why. Just simply said that he died. And you'll see it here. 28. Haran died in the presence of his father. That means that he died before his dad died. Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, you have to... And I don't want to get into a lot of these particular details, okay? But basically, they came from Haran, the family of Terah did. Came from Haran. They migrated to Ur of the Chaldeans. And that's how you can see some of the reasons why they have these Akkadian names given in worship of these idol gods of ancient Babylon. Okay, so they migrated from Haran to Ur of the Chaldeans, and they will end up going back to Haran, that is Terah, and there Terah will remain. But we'll cross that bridge too, guys, when we get there. But anyway, so it said that Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans, and so now. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, who actually we know later on. I think it's something like Genesis chapter 20. We're going to find out that this Sarah is Abraham's, is Terah, Abraham's father's daughter, but from another mother. So Abraham actually married his half sister. And this was permissible since there was no law of Moses at this particular time. And notice her name, Sarah, is the Akkadian root of Sharate, which comes from the, the, the goddess that married Sin, the Akkadian god Sin. In other words, the name itself is an idolatrous root. Okay, so it tells us that Terah was a worshiper of idols. And this is also what Joshua himself said to the Israelites, how that Terah was an idol worshiper. But anyway, <laughs> and I'll get to that point again. I'll come back. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And that same thing, Malkuth from another goddess of an idolatrous uh, um, an idol worshiper. But anyway, that that's the whole point that we're trying to make here with the names, that the root meaning is not so much more Hebrew, but as it is Akkadian, as it relates to idolatry. And so I guess I might make the, make the point now, which lets you see that when we look at 
the, the family of Abraham, Terah, and even probably initially, no doubt, Abraham himself, initially now, that's what I say initially, they were idol worshiper. In other words, there was nothing meritorious about the seed line even here. Because notice, Terah is a worshiper of idols. Nothing meritorious about Terah. Nothing meritorious because we're anticipating as we're working through these verses. We're getting ready for Genesis chapter 12. And God said to Abram, leave your father's house. Leave your family and go to a land that I will show you. So what I'm trying to say, nothing that Abraham did that merited the call of God. The call of God was gracious. In other words, God simply called Abraham simply because it was his will, not because Abraham was so good. Now that deals with the principle of election even this day. It's not because we are so good. It's not because of this or even so bad. God chooses whom he wishes. Okay, and that's a beautiful point to remember, lest at any time we begin to pat Abraham on the back for being so good that God used him. No, his family were a family of idolaters. Unless we at any time begin to pat ourselves on the back, thinking that we are so good. Mm -mm. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are just as lost. And had it not been for the grace of God, we would be lost just like all the rest. But anyway, let's continue. That's the main point I wanted to get out of that section. All right. So I was talking about Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Ishkai. And so we find out that Abram's brother that died, Haran, had two daughters, Milcah and Ishkah, and his daughter Milcah married her uncle, that is Nahor. All right? So I don't think I need to say anything else about that. 30. Sarah was barren, she had no child. Now, don't you like the way it just interjected that verse from out of nowhere? Because it prepares us for the whole issue of what's going to happen in the life of Abraham, the struggles of Abraham, the promise that God makes to Abraham to make him a great nation. But how is God going to make him a great nation when his wife is barren? It prepares us for the story of faith. Faith that will be evidenced in the life of Abraham. Why? Because Sarah can have, she cannot have any child, children, because she is barren. And God is going to make a promise of many nations. All right. But anyway, so it prepares us for that in verse number 30. And 31, now, he talks about, remember, Terah, father of Abraham, Okay, and his three brothers, one of them had already died. All right, and now we got Lot as well. So now Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran. You know why? Because his dad is dead, Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter in law. Notice that it relates to Sarah as Terah's daughter in law. Now she was actually his daughter, but it calls her his daughter. And that's because. It looks at that relationship that she has with Abraham as the preeminent relationship. She is Abraham's wife. Therefore, she is Terah's daughter-in-law. That's the reference that it makes here. 
his sons, Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans. Notice they left. Remember I told you they at first they lived in Ur and they then migrated. I think it was like 600 some miles, something to that effect to Ur of Chaldea. That's where they were living there. And remember the whole issue of the Tower of Babel and all of that mess that was taking place there to remember all of that and four generations counting down from there. They are still there. Four generations counting down from there. They were still there. So they're leaving from Ur of the Chaldean to enter into the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. So now here's the issue that the, and I don't want to get too much into this particular issue. So we believe that it was somewhere at this particular time, possibly, that Abraham received his call and convinced his father, Terah, to journey toward the promised land, to the land that God would show him, which would be the land of Canaan. They got as far as Haran, which was the homeland. That's where Terah was from. They got as far as Haran and Terah refused to go any further. And there, Terah died. Okay? So that's why I said, and he settled there. And so it says in verse 32, the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. So the idea was Terah refused to go any further and therefore Abraham remained there until he died. And you see that particular statement made by Stephen in Acts chapter 7 as I think it is the Samaritan Pentateuch that he gets his numeric information from concerning the life of Terah. And the Samaritan uh, Pentateuch said that Terah lived only 145 years, where it says here he lived to be 205 years. And we remember that Abraham received his calling when he was age 75 to leave from his father's house. So that particular discrepancy, guys, it to be honest with you, it is debatable. Did Terah die at 145 or 205? is a numerical discrepancy in the text somewhere. We really can, to be honest, guys, we really cannot be sure. But what we can be sure of is this, is that Abraham received his calling somewhere in the land of Haran. And it is from Haran in Mesopotamia that Abraham departed from the household of his father and he obeyed the voice and the call of God and journeyed to a place that he had never known before, the land of Canaan, where God would make him the father of the Jewish people. Now, the whole point of this section is this. As we move from dealing with the nations of the world, we dispense, from, we dispense with that in Genesis chapter 10. And we also move from dealing with the issue of the seed lines. Notice that's what we've been doing in the remainder of chapter 11 with this family of Shem, the descendants of Shem. As we move to the descendants line from Shem all the way back down to Abram or even here Terah but we know that the concentration will be Abram, who is the seed son. We'll move from that idea of seed son. Now we're going to move into the issue of a chosen family and even the birth of a nation as we move even further down.
All right, guys. Catch you next time as we deal with Genesis chapter 12 and begin with the history of Abraham. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe now!